0: We're finishing up a, a month long uh, examination of choices. We've been using this book called It's Up to You by Ernest Holmes, and really the month has been um, well, let me put it this way. I've come away with two key thinkings for the month so far, and I want to share them with you. First of all, I am more at choice than I ever thought possible. That's one of the key things that I learned this month. We make thousands upon thousands of choices every day. And so when we're feeling like our our choices have run out or if we're feeling kind of boxed in, one of the things I learned this month is it's all in my head. Because really, we have thousands of choices every single day. Big ones, small ones of all kinds. And the more conscious I am of them, the more consciousness that I put into a choice the more real it can be for me. The more I have a chance to make my world more the way I want it to be. The other thing that was a highlight this week really came from last week where Ernest Holmes was quoting from the master teacher Jesus and said, it is done unto us as we believe. And really, in some ways, that's the summation of all of the teaching of science of mind in many ways. If you think about it, when Reverend Sharon or, or someone on Sunday says, just change your thinking and you'll change your life, Well, it is that belief. It is is the beliefs that we have that create our reality. It really is done unto us as we believe. Today, I want to finish this series by really focusing in on this idea of changing our beliefs. How do we go about doing that? If we want to have a better life, if we want to have more joy in our life, more peace in our life, more love in our life... How can we systematically go about then changing the beliefs required to make that change in our life? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Ernest Holmes says one of the key things, though, is to take this out of the realm of wishful, hopeful thinking. And I want to start right there. Because I think you know what I mean. I I hope I do. I mean, all of us like a certain amount of television perhaps in our lives, right? And we have our favorite shows. And I remember I I was watching one the other day and I was kind of picturing myself going home to that mansion. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And I think to a degree, we all have dreams. Like we've seen magazines with the beautiful homes in it. We've seen uh, uh, movies that have the perfect relationship in them. Do you know what I mean? Where the couple just couldn't possibly be happier well and and probably because that couple doesn't (laughs) exist but we put that aside but we put that aside for a minute and we kind of have that hopeful wishful kind of wistful thinking like like if only that were me whether it be about the house or the perfect job or whatever it is well the trouble is this is not changing our thinking because there is that part of us that knows that that's just a dream that isn't going to happen to me, to us, to us as individuals. It's in that realm more of fantasy, if you will, than it is really changing our thinking. Here's how Ernest Holmes, um, the author of this book, puts it. He says, The great exploration which mind... ...careful to differentiate between this form of thinking and simple daydreaming. In daydreaming, one sits around longing for things, even picturing oneself having them, but in the very same moment, being certain that it will never happen in our own time and in our own lives. But in spiritual practice, a person does not just wish for things. We consciously use our thoughts to set creative power in motion And then we expect with, excuse me, then we accept with acceptancy the result. Now notice the difference here. It isn't just a a vision on a TV screen of how you'd like to be. It's really accepting and it's really internalizing it in our lives. It's really taking that thing that we want and going beyond picturing ourselves there and accepting it in our heart of hearts. This is what we talk about when we say really change your thinking. It isn't just holding an abstract idea of how sweet it would be if certain things were different. It's knowing that the change is in my heart and in my mind and in my choices and in my beliefs right now. Now this can take a little change, even in the way we talk about things. Have you noticed some of the language people using uh, that people use when they're in that wishful, hopeful mode? They'll say things like, uh, "I know I'll be happy when something else occurs." They'll say, "I'd be prosperous if you know I got that raise, if there was the job." They talk about, "I'll be free, you know, well after the kids are grown and I have more time to myself." It's always in the future. It's always out there, tantalizing the picture it would be, but even our language betrays it. Even our language says, but I don't have it now. It isn't part of my life now. And when we do that, we're putting it off, perhaps forever. The other thing I want to talk about today, beyond just changes in our language, because that one might be a little bit easy, although it makes you sound perhaps a little uh, kooky if you say it out loud, because instead of saying something like, uh, I'll be happy when you say, I'm happy now. Instead of saying things like, I'd be prosperous if I got the raise or that new job, you say, I'm prosperous now. And of course, that may fly in the face of that bill that came in the red envelope. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? The, The past due one that they put a little red stripe on to make you feel even a little more guilty about it. How can we, in the face of reality claim these things that we don't have quite yet and that's what i really want to talk about today because there is a path towards this that's viable now here i'm going to uh, vary a little bit from ernest holmes because i was curious how do we literally change our mind and i figure well there's got to be some good science out there and there is It is known the true mental mechanisms by which we change our thinking, by which we can take an old idea that's no longer serving us, that's maybe keeping us in lack or limitation, and instead start believing something differently. Now, I know there are those of you out there going, well, I can't just change my mind that fast. I've had maybe 25 years, maybe 50 years (laughs) of thinking one way, (laughs) and you're saying, I can just, you know, like turn the page in the book and believe something different, there is a mechanism for doing this. It's scientifically proven and we're going to talk about it today. And it, it, it kind of has parts to it. First of all, we have to recognize that there is a contrary opinion, a contrary belief, if you will, so, if, for instance, maybe you were raised to think that money is tight, that we'll always just barely squeak by, that we never quite have enough to money to to have our dreams realized, that 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 really that's, there's some el- elusiveness in money, if that's how we were raised, it's a little difficult just to start boldly proclaiming, "I have everything I could possibly need now and forever." I'm rich, and I live richly. Do you see what I mean? They're opposing views, and science will tell you that if you believe strongly in one of them, you really can't believe strongly in the other. And so I guess it only makes sense that where we start is refuting or denying, if you will, the false belief or the belief that we want to get rid of. So immediately, we start thinking about ways to question this old belief. Is it really true that I'm poor? It's like I, I live in pretty nice circumstances, right? There are lots of things in my life that seem very rich. When I compare myself on an international scale, you know, even though I'm only making, you know whatever it is, 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000, compare that out in the world. And we live like kings and queens here in America. Do you know what I mean? And so there is information that you can begin questioning the legitimacy of this old belief. And I think of this in some ways as kind of like the Santa Claus effect. Because probably as a child, you absolutely believed literally that there was a North Pole and a workshop and... and and a gentleman named Santa, and in a very literal way. I mean, I want to tell you right now, I still believe in Santa Claus, (laughs) but not in the literal sense that there's actually a man living at the North Pole. Okay, are we okay with that? (laughs) All right so but yet there came the day uh, something had to change here right because as a child i was very invested in the idea that i understood how santa claus worked and it was a a literal fellow and one really long night to get all those presents delivered and i still remember when my uncle suggested very quietly have you ever seen santa and your father at the same time This was the beginning of the unraveling of the literal belief in Santa. Now now my mom of course was really helpful for this because she helped me understand that Santa is right here that the belief in love and presence and joy and everything that I loved about the Christmas holiday was not about a, a gnome. She said and, and a gnome, really, you want a gnome with the North Pole taking care of your happiness. So so I mean she like helped me understand this. But still I think that the beliefs that we have about the world today as adults, we need to address just as simply about debunking, if you will, or not taking literally the idea of them as we would about something from childhood like the tooth fairy. And so I'm gonna suggest that with the same questioning eye that maybe at one time we puzzled through our parents with an idea of some childhood idea, that we can puzzle through with ourselves, whether an idea of lack or of limitation of not being worthy, of not being good enough for the riches that are due to us and society, just for being part of God's flock. And of course, I've been talking a little bit about money because it's been on people's minds lately. But this isn't just about money. This is about love. This is about peace. This is about joy. If you want to experience true love in your life and you've had a lifetime full of stuff that didn't feel like love because of the way you were raised maybe or, or a first marriage or whatever it might be, you need to work on those beliefs. Because if you continue believing that all relationships will end in divorce and that, that all couples fight all the time, and do you know what I mean? If, if we move forward with our ideas because there was some truth in them in the past and we don't question them, we don't look good and hard at them and begin picking them apart for the reality of it, then we are doomed to making the same mistakes, to having the same life unfolding, because our thoughts have not changed. So how can we do this? This step two about bringing doubts can be as simple as asking, is this really true in my life? Is it really true that all marriages end this way? Is it really true that all married couples fight? Is it really true that I'm going to be poor my entire life? How can I know that to be true? Is it a truth or is it simply a current opinion? When we begin thinking about things that we believe as simply current opinions, it doesn't quite sound so scary that we might change them, does it? And when we begin poking holes in them, when we begin seeing, well, there's lots of happy couples in my life, when we begin seeing that, you know, I'm capable and lovable in so many areas in my life, why have I come to the conclusion that in this one area I'm not lovable or not capable or not worthy? When we begin really poking holes in it, then the house of cards that is this old false belief begins to crumble. And I do believe it's true that scientists say you cannot hold both a positive and a negative thought about the same subject in our mind, right? We have to let go of one of them in order to achieve the other one. I can't believe that I'm both poor and rich. I can't believe that I'm both lovable and unlovable, not in, not in the same strength of passion for most of them. So let us make a choice, let us begin doubting the one that no longer serves us, that makes us feel small, that makes us feel like we're out of God's sight, that lets us feel like we're less than or limited or or put upon or, or somehow beleaguered. Let us release and question those ideas even as we do the next step in this process. And scientists simply call it testing. And I'm going to read you uh, today's joke because I think it illustrates this idea of testing things rather well. So John invited his mother over for dinner, and during the meal, his mother couldn't help but notice how lovely John's roommate was and kind of how the two of them interacted together. And it really kind of made her curious about whether they were a couple or just roommates. As if reading his mom's thoughts, however, John volunteered, I know what you're thinking, but I assure you, Julie and I are just roommates. Well, about a week later after dinner, Julie came to John and said, Ever since your mother came over to dinner that night, I've been unable to find the silver gravy ladle. You don't suppose your mother took it, do you? John said, Well, honey, really, I, I can't imagine she did, but if you want, I'll send her an email. So here's the email he sent. Dear Mom, I'm not saying you did take the gravy ladle from my house, and I'm not saying that you didn't take the gravy ladle from my house, but the fact remains that one has been missing ever since you were here to dinner. Well, the next day, the response to the email, Dear Son, I'm not saying that you do sleep with Julie, and... And I'm not saying that you do not sleep with Julie, but the fact remains that if she were sleeping in her own bed and in her own room, she would have found the gravy ladle by now. <laughs> 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 this... <laughs> now, believe it or not, there's actually a spiritual message here. I, I swear to gosh, I swear to gosh. This is how we can begin testing the truth of our new reality. Because the scientists tell us that it's one thing to have this new idea of how life should be, but unless we can put it to the test, unless we can see the new way that we want to be in actual fact, in actual reality, it will be on that realm of the wishful <laughs> hopeful. Do you know what I mean? Even though we've let go of thinking of ourselves as poor or unlovable or, or, uh, or whatever it might be, even as we're letting go of that, unless we can test the new reality, unless we can prove it to ourselves, unless we know beyond the shadow of the doubt, out, what happened to the gravy ladle?" We may not be able to take on really that new way of being in our lives. So a, a few examples come to my mind. Let's say you're wanting to put aside the idea that you're no good at public speaking or, or running a meeting or being in front of people. And so what you'd like to do is take on the idea, I'm a great public speaker or I'm good at meetings or, or whatever it is. You're going to actually have to run a meeting. You're going to actually have to do a bit of public speaking in order to get over the old idea that you're no good at it. It's fine to say, well, of course I can be good at it. It's fine to say, you know, come up with all the reasons for putting down the old reason. I mean, I was great in that third grade play. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you can, you can, put, you can put down the old one. But unless you can test the new hypothesis, a part of you is not going to go with it. Now, there are tests and there are tests, though, right? If you're like me, even just the thought of the word test sometimes is like, oh, like algebra. I remember that one, test. But you're designing the test. This is the supremely good news. You can make it a lovely, easy test. All you need to do is set yourself up to be successful, just even a little bit successful in how you wanna picture yourself in your newness. So if you're worried about, um, I don't know what it is, let's say you're worried that you're really not good enough to land a great job, right? Well, what are you good enough to do in your own life? Do you know what I mean? Like a great test would be volunteering somewhere. Takes all the pressure off, usually of interviewing and all kinds of stuff, and you would discover that they are aching to have people like you working with them. Another way of thinking about it for for people who are maybe are struggling a bit with finances right now, and I know I know this is out in the world, but if you want to feel rich, if you want to accept an idea of opulence and luxury in your life so that life will start treating you rich. How can we do that without even using any money? We can. There are any number of public places and luscious, lavish environments right here in the city of Portland. It's like go to the art museum on Free Thursday. Uh, you know, go to the, uh, um, I don't know, uh, go one of, the, one of the hotel lobbies downtown and just have a Perrier. You can feel as lavish and rich sitting in the Benson. Have you been to the Benson Hotel in a while in their lobby? Oh my gosh. I go there and I feel sinfully rich. <laughs> it's lovely. And you, know, you can get by for a dollar and a half in a Perrier and you can feel as rich as you would like. Begin inviting into your life little things that will prove to you you do have what it takes. You are as smart as you would like. You do have the the means and the resources to accomplish what you want to do. And when the tests begin coming up positive, yes, I am smart enough. I am lovable enough. I, I am rich enough. I am good enough. Then you've tipped. Do you see what I mean? Then you've gone from the realm of I really wish I believed that into yes, I do believe that. I do have a heartfelt sense of feeling enough in the world, of having enough in the world, of being enough love, of being able to help other people. Whatever your heart's desire is, you can have it, but it is done unto you as you believe. You have to believe it. It has to be right here, not just floating around in the wishful, hopeful crannies of your head. It has to be right here. You have to know that you are capable, that you are lovable, that you are worthwhile, that the universe is smiling down upon you, that you are rich, that families are loving. You have to know these things first in your own heart, then... The universe will do unto you in like manner. Then the world opens up in all of its blessings. This is how we change our mind. This is how we change the universe. I'm going to close today first just with a quick recap here. So first, to change our mind, we have to recognize that there is a different way of thinking. And it's always a good idea if you can literally... Show them in your own mind as opposing ideas, right? There might be the idea of being poor, and what you really would like is the idea of feeling like life has a lot to offer you. So you come up with the opposing ideas. Then you work very diligently at picking apart the old idea, the one that you don't want to believe anymore. You discount it. You do the Santa Claus expose on it. You knock it to the curb for its worthlessness in your own life, even as you begin gently and lovingly testing out the new hypothesis, the new belief, the new way of being in the world. You test out just how lovable you are, how beautiful you are, how capable you are. I'm going to close today with a final quote from Ernest Holmes as we close out this lovely inspirational book. He says, often we say that we cannot see our way out of certain conditions. But we do not have to see our way out. We have to know that there is a way in, into that innermost regions of us, which coexists with first cause, with God. Right there and right now, there is a power in you and in me, which is God. There is a presence, which is good, and an intelligence, which is perfect, In this sacred spot of the Most High, within us we dwell quietly and calmly until we reach the conviction that all is right in our world. Let us pray. There is one power. There is one presence. There is this thing that I call God, and what I know about it is that God is magnificent, It is all the love, all the life, all the the goodness, all the sweetness, all the peace, all the joy. Anything you can imagine comes from God in all of its goodness. And because this is true, because it's a universal truth, I know that it's also true in my life that I can accept more love, that I can bring about more joy, that peace, that harmony, that, that opulence, that whatever is in my mind's eye can be created, for it is done unto me as I believe. And as it is true for me, it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has that full capability of co-creating with God a life so filled with joy, of peace, of love, of sharing all these things with our, our fellows and our families. It is our ability to indeed make a heaven of sorts right here on earth. I know it's true. I'm grateful for this. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for being here.